So during Advent, we've been focused on Christmas expectation. It all leads up to the great expectation, the arrival of Jesus Christ on Christmas Eve. And we have a chance, once again, we've been making a way. So this is the fourth Sunday. So we've been, each week we've been, I'm actually taking a different word for us to think about. So the first word, we talked about the Annunciation. We talked about the Proclamation with Mary. And last week, we talked about the humiliation. It was a part of the story about Mary and Joseph and how humiliating that would have been that Mary ended up being pregnant and Joseph really didn't believe her. And then, you know, the whole story has it continued to unfold. So we had that word. And so today we focus on the word anticipation today. And so um, I have chosen this great text from the Gospel of Luke, and it's, we're going to talk a little bit about shepherds today. And so hear this part of the version of the story as we lead in with the shepherds. So um, Luke, the second chapter, began with the eighth verse. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, watching over their flocks by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and, well, they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. For see, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them, And gone into heaven, the shepherds said to them, one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste, found Mary, Joseph, when the the child lying in the manger. And when they had been, and when they saw this, they made known all that had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were, well, they were just amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So each week I've been highlighting, and I actually start with a definition. So the definition for anticipation, matter of fact, can you put this up on the screen? A feeling of excitement about something that's going to happen, maybe perhaps in the near future. The word expectation is involved with that word or also the word prediction, anticipation. So last uh, night, uh, my son Jordan came home, actually came home yesterday afternoon. He lives in Honolulu, Hawaii. He's got a pretty good gig. I just want you to know that. He goes to work all day and then he goes to the beach. I mean, you know, he's living the dream. So he's teaching at the, at the, actually on the campus at University of Honolulu as a char- at the charter school. So he came home for Christmas. And um, so he says, Dad, I, you know, I want to go to church tonight. I said, great. And um, so uh, we got him a ticket. So he came to the cantata. So then also when he shows up, all his friends show up. And so we hadn't seen some of his friends. So uh, uh, Chase and uh, his, Chase has been a part of our family. Actually, they went to first grade to school. So they've known each other for 20 years. So uh, Chase and his girlfriend, Kat, live in Gainesville. And so they came to see Jordan last night. So by the time we got home, um, uh, there they were. And um, I, I said, well, w- we need to go get something to eat. And, um, and so I said, where y'all want to go? And then so we talked about it. So it was kind of late. So they, they love Taco Bell. Well, listen, Taco Bell is not my number one choice. I want you to know that. Okay. So I said, okay, y'all go to Taco Bell and I'll go, we'll go, I'll go to Culver's. So, so they go through the drive-thru. And so I'm expecting, you know, I'm dad, I'm going to pay for it, right? So I pull up my Visa card, I'm going to pay for it. And then all of a sudden, Chase says, no, Mr. Hendren, I'm going to pay for this. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. 
So I said, okay, no problem. You know, I was going to pay. No, no, no. You, we're staying with you tonight. And thank you so much for putting us up because they're going to stay, spent the night with us last night. And then they're on their way down to South Florida where uh, Chase and Kat live. And I said, well, that's fine, Chase. No, what? Okay. I'd be happy to pay for it. No, no, no. I, I'm going to pay for it. So then, um, so then we went through the drive-thru at the Culver's and I would pulled out my visa. I'm going to pay for my dinner, right? And he says, no, I'm going to pay for that. Whoa, no way. I just completely fell out. And I said, uh, well, you know what, Chase? I don't mind if you do that. That's pretty good. I'll take that. And so after all the money that I probably poured into those, all those friends all the years and all the Taco Bells and dinners and McDonald's hamburgers and whatnot, I thought, you know what? I think I'll just let him pay for my dinner tonight. <laughs> I did not anticipate that. Anticipation. I love that. A feeling of excitement about something maybe that's going to happen in the near future. Expectation. Prediction. So uh, here's where we're headed today. Uh, three gifts that we see from this story. So I, we talked about some of these, these, uh, these uh, th- well, three different actually questions that we're gonna address today. So here they are from the shepherd's perspective. What do we learn about God from the story? Number two is what do we learn about ourselves from the shepherd's story? And number three, how do the shepherds help us better understand the Christmas story. Here are the three questions. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? And then number three is how the shepherds help us better understand the Christmas story. Okay, so this is where I'm going to answer all three of these questions um, uh, today. So um, I'm, I was down at Lake Pan, I think it was uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, and so we did um, a, kind of a partnership with Lake Pan and we did a, um, a feeding distribution. And um, I, you know what's interesting? Let me just share with you. I think I got there like eight o'clock. And so they're not going to give, distribute the food. The truck had even, actually the truck drove up right when I got there about eight o'clock. And so they're going to distribute the food at 10 o'clock. So I, I just wanted to you know, by the time I got there at eight o'clock, people were already lined up around the whole church to receive their dinner. It's amazing. And you know what they got? They, you know, they got a very nice, you know, a bag of food. They got, they got a chicken. They got some rice. They got some beans. They got, some, a, can, you know, some, a few canned goods. Um, I think they, they got some raisins. But they, they sat in line for two and a half, three hours to get one free bag of groceries. Yeah, lined around the church. So I, I'm sitting there and uh, I'm talking um, to some of our people um, that, as they're getting ready to prepare the tables and get the food out. And so I was talking to my friend Clint Wentz, who um, is a part of our church, and he's uh, in charge of our um, representative of our church at our Bargains and Blessings Ministry, and we're grateful for that. And um, so we're just kind of shooting the bull and talking. And he says, you know, Pastor Earl, you know what? I really appreciate your message this last week about humility because I talked about humiliation and uh, humility last week. And he says, I learned a lot about humility. I said, well, thanks, Clint. And, um, and, then, he, and then I said, you know, this week I'm, I'm going to be talking about the shepherds. And he says, oh, you're going to be talking about shepherds? I said, yes. He says, you know, I, I actually was a sheep farmer for 21 years. I said, get out. <laughs> I didn't know that. He says, yeah, I know everything about sheep. I said, well, tell me a little about, tell me about sheep because I'm going to be talking about shepherds and sheep in my message this week. So here's what I found out about sheep. Can you put that list about sheep? Here's what I, this is what, uh, sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Use, and this is just to me amazing. I'm literally taking, I'm writing down on my phone, taking notes as he tells me. Use usually have two or three lambs when they give birth. Um, the gestation period for lambs uh, to give birth actually is five months for a ewe. Baby, I, I thought this is interesting. Baby monitors work well in the middle of the night for sheep. In other words, when he would have a baby monitor in the barn, and so literally it's almost like being a, a OBGYN of being a farmer for, ewe, for, for lambs. 
and for sheep. So he had a baby monitor so he could tell if, a, a, if, his, if the mother sheep was in some kind of distress, he would get up in the middle of the night and order to, to help her. I thought that was interesting. The mother you and their offspring give birth almost the exact same time to the day. I thought that was really interesting. So he said that he's, he actually wrote everything down when the, when the, the mother used, when the mother used would give birth and then they would have their offspring and then he would have their offspring. When they would give birth later on, they would almost give birth the exact same time. I thought that was amazing. The other thing I thought was very interesting, when, when mother ewes would give birth to their children, glucose levels for ewes go down while carrying their lambs and they can actually go to a diabetic coma. So you have to continue to give them insulin as they give birth. And the more they, if they have like three, if they're carrying three lambs, then their insulin even drops in. You have to kind of watch that um, pretty su- substantially. I thought that was interesting. Here's that, sheep get pedicures. I did not know that. He says, Harold, it's a part, you know, you have to, they have their hooves, the hooves uh, coral over, and so they have to do that. Sheep get sheared in the spring, and uh, he also talked about his border collie came in handy. Her, her name was Jake, and, um, that, and then um, this is interesting. They need someone around to take care of them, or they get themselves in trouble. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And he says, Harold, they get, you know, you would think that, you know, they, they have a, maybe a little common sense, but, you know, they would get their head caught in the fence and they couldn't figure out how to tilt their head to get it out of the fence. So he says, they're always getting in trouble. And then he says, Harold, they just need someone to protect them. I thought that was interesting. And I, I thought, you know, um, I thought this was interesting because out of, um, I was reflecting upon the stories of Christ and about sheep and about, you know, getting themselves in trouble. I don't know if you realize this about sheep, but so sheep, as he mentioned, are not the sharpest tools in the shed and they can literally nibble themselves and then when they're feeding, they can nibble themselves completely away from their uh, other flock and they just continue to eat and eat and eat and they kind of wander off and they get lost. That's why that is one of the first things that, uh, that uh, Clint shared with me, they can get themselves in trouble in a, in a real quick way. So I thought this is interesting. Then Jesus told this parable, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them, wanders off. Doesn't he leave in the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he hopefully puts it, hopefully joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, hey, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that this is, that in the time, in the same time, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. You know what I love about Jesus is Jesus is always using visual aids and using what was going on around him to be able to bring home a clear message. So he talks about sheep and about the lost sheep and about how they can, you know, they just need... And he needs someone to, to kind of look after him. And I thought, this is amazing what Clint shared with me over those like 15, 20 minutes. And it was just spot on with the gospel. And then the last thing to me was the most important thing that Clint shared with me on Tuesday morning. Can you share that next slide? And this is what he said. He says, sheep just need a shepherd. Man, I thought that was good. Sheep just need a shepherd. Can you say it with me? Sheep just need, they just need a shepherd. So once upon a time, according to the gospel of John in the 10th chapter, Jesus said this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The higher hands do not, the shepherd does not know the own, does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and they run away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing about the sheep. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what I love about Jesus is how Jesus, once again, just takes something so simple as sheep and he weaves it all together for us to understand that ultimately the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for, for the sheep. And by the way, sheep aren't always, always the sharpest tools in the shed, right? So I was thinking about this this week and and I, I thought this is interesting um, in perspective as I kind of did my research about um, this message today and about the shepherds. And so, so what was very interesting is the children of Israel were waiting for the good shepherd to come. Um, they've been waiting in for, for years, for centuries, for, for the Messiah to come, for the good shepherd to come, for, for the savior to come, for the deliverer to come. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. I thought this was interesting. I dug up some quotes um, from first century, and this is from a first century Roman, Roman poet. He wrote about the golden age of time in history. He says, there is, not, there is not the slightest need to think that the story of the coming of the shepherds to the cradle of Christ is only a, love, a lovely legend. It's exactly a thing that could easily have happened in the ancient world. When Jesus Christ came, the world was in, in eagerness of expectation. People were waiting on God and the desire for God was in their hearts. It was to, to a waiting world that Jesus came and when he came, the ends of the earth were gathered at this cradle. It was the first sign and the symbol of the world conquest of Christ. Jesus was ushering in the golden age. And then I thought this is really interesting. And, um, why would they are seeking a savior? Well, during this time, the first century, there was this feeling this part of the world was, was expecting a king. Roman scholar Satuasis wrote, he says, this is back in first century, he says, there had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that was fated at the time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Josephus said this about the Jewish tradition. About that time, one from their country should become a governor of the whole inhabited earth. So I thought this is interesting as you go back and look at what people were writing, even Josephus in the first century was talking about the people were waiting, expecting, anticipating the coming of the Lord. So last night um, at the, uh, our Christmas musical, uh, Sean had asked me um, early yesterday morning, he says, Hero, can you just maybe take maybe three or four minutes and talk about the incarnation. I said, well, sure, I can do that. And so I, I told um, last night, I, I gave him like maybe a, just a three-minute abbreviated version about the first Emmanuel and the second Emmanuel. A lot of people don't realize, you know, Emmanuel means God with us. Can you say it with me? Emmanuel means God with us. Okay, so there are two Emmanuels. There's an, old, there's an Emmanuel in the Old Testament and there's the Emmanuel in the New Testament. So let me just explain, because I didn't get a chance to talk about this last night. So um, we have this prophecy from the book of Isaiah, which is really, really important. And it talks about, you know, the virgin's gonna give birth. Um, and so what's, and it's, it's a foreshadowing that what we find in the New Testament. So what we find here is, 
Um, there is um, back in, of course, by the way, um, when Isaiah is talking, he's talking 750 years before Jesus walks on the scene. Okay, this is really important. But you have to look at the historical context to understand about the first Emmanuel and what's it mean for the second Emmanuel. So the first Emmanuel, there's this, this part of the story. So Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom and then um, there was a king in the northern kingdom, which is Israel. This lower kingdom was called Judah. And so there's this conspiracy between Israel and Ammon, the two kings decide they're, decide they're gonna gang up on Ahaz and the southern kingdom and they're gonna, just gonna pummel him. And so, matter of fact, I, I think we got a picture of the map. Can you say, so here's the Israel, the Northern Kingdom. This is 750 BC and Judah and the Southern Kingdom. And he has is the king of the Southern Kingdom in Judah. And then you see Ammon, on the, which is actually like modern day Syrian up there. And so the two kings are collaborating. They're gonna take out um, the Southern Kingdom. Um, and so Ahaz is freaking out because he knows that he doesn't have a prayer. If those two combined forces, he's, he's gonna be pummeled. So what happens is that God comes to him and reveals this divine revelation. He says, listen, Amy, I know you're afraid. Don't worry. He says, I'm gonna take care of this. And, and, he, and literally the, the, the translation there is that the children of, of, of that particular area, of, they were shaking like trees um, on a, leaves on a tree. So they're all frightened. And then he says, and then he talks about, and he says, the Israel and the Isaiah said in prophecy, Listen, house of David, isn't it enough for you to be tiresome for people that you are also tiresome before God? Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman, or in some translations it says virgin, but the, the little translation here means the young woman. The young woman is pregnant, is about to give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He will eat butter and honey and, lear and learn to reject evil and choose good. But before the boy learns to reject evil and choose good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring you upon you and upon your people and upon your families days unlike any that have come since that day Ephraim broke away from Judah, the king of Syria. So what does all that mean? In other words, what um, Isaiah is prophesying and telling Ahaz, hey, don't worry. He says, in other words, this sign, this, this, this virgin or this young woman is gonna give birth to a, a child. And, this, and the symbolism of this child is by the time he turns around 12 years old, which means he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what good and evil, but about the tradition was when you turn about 12 or 13, you would know what the difference between what good and evil really is. He says, by the time he turns about 12 years old, you don't have to worry anything because it's all gonna be taken care of. And this is gonna be a sign. And that ultimately, this is exactly what happens. About 12 years later, the Assyrians come in. They, take, they actually pummel the northern kingdom. They take care of Ammon. And so guess what? Exactly what was being prophesied 12 years before is exactly what happened. And Isaiah said, see, I told you so. And so the, the first Emmanuel has to do with God being with the children of Israel at that particular time. It was a sign that God continued to be with them. God, Emmanuel, God with us. So we have that part of the story. 
So then you fast forward and you look at this great part of the story because what's very powerful is, and by the way, it says, for, the, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be, uh, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is what the prophecy talks about, which is very interesting. I thought this is amazing because the first two titles about when you talk about Prince of Peace and Wonderful Counselors are titles that would actually be used for actually human beings. But the other two titles, but Mighty God and Everlasting Father are names that would have been used clearly for upon God. So we have that and the titles that we find in this particular story. And they also says, and the government will be upon his shoulders, means that, that ultimately the person who he's prophesying is about is will take responsibility and for all the people. That's really important. So when we put this all in perspective, this is what we find. So we have the first at, we have the first Emmanuel, and then it's all a foreshadowing what's gonna come. And so Matthew and Luke, when they're writing their gospel, they see what has happened 750 years before and they weave this whole thing about God being with them and they weave it into this great, this beautiful story that we find in Jesus Christ. And so what's very powerful, can you put the comparison between the first email and the second email up on the slide, there's two slides. That, okay, so here's the comparison. So the first Emmanuel, 740 to 710 BC, um, the son was born of a young woman. The uh, first one was born of a young woman. The prophecy reveals God is on Judah's side and it's a foreshadow of what's to come. And so the second Emmanuel is the, is, comes in first century, born of a virgin through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy reveals that God is with us in the flesh. Do you get that? So the, the first Emmanuel was a sign that God was gonna be with them and that God was gonna take care of things for them. And this is 750 years before. But then when Jesus walks on the screen, the beautiful thing is when we find, we find incarnation, found that Jesus Christ, he's the, the second Emmanuel. He is the one that ultimately God is not just with them, but God is walking with us to this day in the flesh. This is a beautiful part of the story because we believe in an incarnation, fully human and fully divine, that God continues to walk with us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I thought it was really interesting and because this is what I think is powerful because once again, you think about the Gospel of John and what John has to say with that about this, I shared this last night, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So what I love about this part of the story is you got the Old Testament that leads, this is the story before the story, right? And so you got the Old Testament over here and you got the New Testament in here and you got, if I was gonna take a, if I was gonna be able to draw, I don't have my little flip chart up here, but if I was gonna draw a line, I'd draw a line like this, it'd be Old Testament, New Testament, and then I'd draw a line from the, a vertical line from the top to the bottom and that crossroad is Jesus Christ. The crossroad between the Old Testament and the New Testament all comes, the defining figure between the cross, between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that all leads, the defining is, the, is ultimately Jesus Christ, the incarnation, fully human and fully divine. God with us. There's a difference between the first Emmanuel and the second one. So what I thought was interesting this last week in my sermon preparation, I, I love um, reading the Interpreter's Bible and, and the Interpreter's Bible is a, a great source. It's like a commentary. And so when I was rereading this last week, I was um, preparing for a message, there were three questions that the commentators 
presented, and I never had thought about them before. And so the first question was this, how do we get to Bethlehem? Can you say it with me? How do we get to Bethlehem? And so, so what's interesting is as I was thinking about that kind of rhetorical question is that we all arrive at the birth of Jesus from different directions in life. That's a great question, isn't it? I never thought about that. I mean, how do we all arrive at the birth of, and how do we all get to Bethlehem? So what's interesting is if you look at the wise men, they come from a different route. You got the shepherds out watching their flocks by night. They come from a different route. Mary and Joseph, they take their route. But what's very powerful for me and for you, don't we all have come from different places in life? We come from, we all look maybe through life at different lenses. We've come from different places in the, in the country and we all have our different stories. Everybody in this room has a different story. But as Christians, they all lead to the same place. Can I amen that? The birth of Jesus Christ, incarnation, fully human, fully divine, Emmanuel, God with us. I love that question. How do we all arrive at Bethlehem? Now, I think I have a map here, and I thought this was interesting about them. This is the actual route. So you got Nazareth up there, and then you see the little red line that goes along the Jordan River there, and then it goes through Jericho, and they believe this is the traditional route that they would have gone. Now, what's interesting, you see, if you would have taken a direct line straight down, they would have gone right through Samaria, and they wouldn't have done that because the, you know, the Jewish people did not usually, the normal routes did not go through Samaria, Right. So I thought that was interesting that ultimately when we think about this, everybody hates there's different, we all come from different places in life. We have, our, have our, our theological beliefs and maybe we look at things a little bit differently, but ultimately the road all leads as Christians, they lead to Bethlehem. Here's the second question. What is the meaning of God being born on the road? I thought that was a great question I found this week in the Interpreter's Bible. What does it mean that God being born on the road? And so I immediately what I thought when I read that question was Willie Nelson said, on the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. You know, that's what, I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, that's what my mind's saying. Then I started thinking about this great Almond Brothers song that I listened to from time to time. And it's called, Lord, I was, a, I was born a rambling man trying to make a living and doing the best I can. And there's this great line in that song. And it says, Lord, I was born in a, a rambling man. I was born in the backseat of a Greyhound bus rolling down Highway 41. You only find that in country music. I just want you to know that, right? I just love that, right? I was born in the backseat of a Greyhound bus going down Highway 41. And so what's amazing to me is it does say something about, it says something about the power of God and such a hum, humble God, right? I mean, think about this. What is the meaning of God being born on the road? And it says something about, can you put that slide back up? And so that one about, it says something about the humility of God. The crib was a feeding trough. God identifies with the powerless, the oppressed, the poor, the homeless. And yet among them, God could do divine work. A humility born of need may be the prerequisite for the entry into this new kingdom. I love that quote. So the Christmas story, therefore, is about, you know, it's about announcement. It's about the announcement of hope. It's, a, it's about the call of humanity. And here's the third question is, who really is in charge? I think that's a really great question because, once again, if you look, if you look at the, of the of Caesar Augustus, well, guess what? He thought he was in charge because he was known as the bringer of peace. He was known as, this, um, he was known as the savior of the world. He called himself that. Um, Caesar claimed himself to be the Lord. He ruled over the earth at one time, but Jesus ultimately rules over heaven and earth. Can I amen on that? 
So once again, the story reminds us that Caesar thought he was in control, Herod thought he was in control. All these powerful figures in the Roman Empire thought they were all controlled, but yet we find in the gospel story is that we find over and over again, not, and we have this humble God who ultimately is really in control. So I was thinking about this once again this week, and I thought, you know what? The, the children of Israel were uh, anticipating for 750 years. They were waiting you know, for the shepherd, the good shepherd to come. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for the deliverer. So um, they, were pre- they predicted why he would come to save the world, but nobody predicted how he would come because chances are they would have thought, you are out of your, ma- your mind. They would have thought, there is no way this could actually come off the way that it did. And so, you know, what's interesting. Um, this last uh, couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned that I had gone down to see my, um, my granddaughter, Marley. And so this year, um, she turned five, I mentioned, and she, uh, she wanted to have a, a special party. So every, she's five. So every year she has in her head uh, what the theme is gonna be the, for the party. So this year, here, here's a little picture of her. So she happened to be a fairy. So this year it was fairy. So everything is about fairies, right? And so what's very interesting about this story, this is not a fairy tale. Some people might think it's a fairy tale, but this is not a fairy tale. Matter of fact, this is far from being a fairy tale. This is really gritty. It's a difficult story if you look at it, right? I mean, you think about all that's going on behind the scenes to be able to bring all this together. You've got a lunatic by the name of Herod who's, you know, slaying the children because he finds out that, you know, they thought, wait a minute, I, wait a minute, when the wise men come, I, I thought I was the king of the Jews. Tell me where he's at, right? And so there's this diabolical figure with this darkness part of the story. You've got, you've got Mary and Joseph and Mary's, you know, nine months pregnant and she has to make that journey about 90 miles. Can you imagine being nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey going up and down it? It took them about a week to get there, right? This story is gritty. You've got shepherds who show up in the middle of the night, not just, shift, not just shepherds. I mean, they're night shift shepherds, right? And they stink the high heaven. And so they show up. And so once again, this is an amazing story. And there's a a sense of grit. There's a sense of grime to the story. There's a sense of difficulty to this story. So this really is not just a fairy tale. And what I thought was really interesting, I want to share with you all, I I really love going to the Holy Land. One of my favorite places to go in the Holy Land is the Church of Nativity. And even the Church of Nativity tells us something about the story, this Christmas story. Um, what's very interesting, I didn't realize this. Matter of fact, I think I got a picture, the first picture of, there's a, per, uh, this is out in the plaza area. And if you're looking straight, you can see that little door. I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. And so that's the actual church of the nativity. Um, this is, they really believe this is the actual historical site where Jesus is actually born. And the reason why they really believe this, and you think, ah, oh, well, maybe, maybe not. No, no, really interesting. Um, Heredian, um, who was the ruler at that particular time, about 135 uh, AD, um, uh, they, he actually built a pagan temple um, to another, a Greek god on top of this particular, this particular site. And the reason why he did it strategically is because they believed that this is the actual site the Christians would continue to go there and be able to worship. And he was actually trying to defer them or distract them from actually doing this. This goes back to only 135 AD. 
So what's very interesting, then um, uh, uh, Constantine, uh, his uh, mother, Helena, goes to the Holy Land and she starts asking where the holy sites are. And so around 320 um, uh, AD, she actually builds a church there. And so this has been the historical site that's been there for, um, for the, actually for almost, for almost 2,000 years. And so here the, the, um, the church is just amazing. Can you put that next slide up if you would? And while I talk about this, this is how you get into the church. And they actually call this the doorway of humility because you have to stoop down in order to get in. Isn't that amazing? So even the way that this, and the reason why they built it that way, strategically, not only do you have to stoop to be able to get into the church, but they strategically built it so they, the, the, the people who were revolts who wanted to go into the church, they couldn't ride their horses into it to be able to desecrate the, the church itself. So they actually strategically built it so they, people would have to stoop in and it makes it a very small way to be able to get in. So can you know that, so this, this is what the church looks like inside. And then so you're looking at the altar and underneath that altar is underneath that is a cave. And underneath the cave is the actual site where Jesus was actually born. It's a 14-point star. And I thought, why is it 14 points? And I, thought, I looked this up this last week, and they believe the reason why it's 14 points is because if you go back into the genealogy, there are 14 different generations from Abraham to King David. And the others say because of the 14 different stations of the cross. Not quite sure which one it is. But there are 14 points to the story, or to the star. So we look at this, and I think it's just beautiful to be able to, so there they were, and so this part of the story, we find the shepherds out watching their flocks by night. Not just shepherds, but well, let me tell you, there were night shift shepherds. And so here's the interesting thing about shepherds. Can you show that first thing about the profile about shepherds, if you could be good? So this is what we need to understand about shepherds. And once again, doesn't it say something about the power of God, how he, God can use the humble people and the story? Because God is a humble God. So they, um, the shepherds, they live in a gypsy encampment outside of Bethlehem. They couldn't observe the Orthodox ritual washings because they were considered unclean. Uh, because they are untutored in the, in the law, they were considered ignorant. Uh, because they didn't have much of a connection with the community, they were considered shady characters. Matter of fact, this is what the shepherds would do. They would allow their sheep to go feed on other people, their neighbor's property, and the other people did not like it, Right? I mean, be, you know, it's just like, you know, really? Can't you just go to your own? No, no, no. They would let their sheep go onto their property and let them eat all, the, uh, eat up, uh, all their grass, right? So they're considered shady characters. Um, they allow their sheep to graze. So they watch other, um, they watch over the sacrificial sheep. Um, and they were the first evangelists in the New Testament, which is very powerful, isn't it? When you think about that, I mean, they're the first ones that God comes and reveals the story to them. And he, out of all the people that God chooses to be able to reveal the story, he chooses the humble shepherds. And so there's actually t a double duty here. So on one hand, they are connected once again to David and Bethlehem, right? Because guess what David's occupation was before he became a king? What was he? He was a shepherd boy, right? And so there's this connection that Jesus oh, can I line up with the, the King David. The, the line was going to actually, the Messiah was going to come from the line of King David. And David was started out as a shepherd. And the other thing is that God wakes up the lowly and the outcasts and uses him the story. I love that part of the story. 
And then, you know, they're out watching their she- uh, sheep by night and says something about the humility. And then they, the Lord comes to them and an angel. And so I got a picture of the angel up here. And so interesting, Luke tells us, and the angel Lord appeared to them and glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were terrified. You know, this was not any ordinary silent night. And so the angels of the Lord come and they say, hey, listen, don't be afraid. We bring you good news. And so here's my, my key point in my message today. Don't we all need good news? Can't even end on that. We got enough bad news in the world. Don't we all need good news? We're all looking. And so here's the great thing about, and don't miss the detail. For the angel said, you know, we bring, we bring good news for all people. I love that part of the story. So the good news of Jesus Christ, once again, it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. This good news is for all the world. Because Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God is with us, fully human and fully divine. We call that incarnation. There's a difference between the first Emmanuel and the second Emmanuel. And by the way, you have the Old Testament, New Testament, and you look at the cross, you put a cross in between, and the crossroad is Jesus Christ, Emmanuel walking with us even today. And so we believe in this, and the great part of the story, the shepherds show up, and it really reveals a part of God's identity. It reveals the humbleness of God, and God continue to work through humble people, And so don't we all just need, we have enough bad news, don't we all just need good news? And so what's very interesting about this part of the story is, I I love about this part, the angels have two things. They actually give the shepherds direction. This is where you're gonna go find them, right? So I love that part of the, and the angels, and don't we all need direction? Think about the people in your life that have been like, once again, the word angel literally means messenger of God, right? And so think about all the people in your life that have been people like angels, that have been like messengers that brought, showed you a direction in your life. I can go through my list. I think about my dear friend, Bill Barnes, who when I first started out in the ministry, he was like, well, ultimately, he was like a key messenger in my life. He showed me, and he said, Harold, this is what you do. He says, you love God you love your people and you work hard. And I never have forgotten that. And so that was a clear message. It catapulted me towards the ministry that I've been, I've been a part of for 35 years. That's what I continue to be my mantra in my life. I think of my father. He was one who was very influential in my life. He was like a messenger. He gave me direction. I think about my friend, Charlie Skinner, who was one of the greatest lay people I've ever met in my life. He thought he fought in three wars, but he was one of the most humble people I've ever met in my life. And he just loved Jesus and he loved me and he loved my family. And he just, once again, was a person who showed me direction in my life. Over and over again, I think there are people in our lives that God puts in our lives are like angels who show us a direction. Can we amen on that? Think about all the people who've influenced your life. They've been able to get you this place in your life. So what I love about this part of the story is the angels give them direction and the angels offer us good news. So the last thing I'll share with you all tonight, once again, this today, is I got three little things, um, and I thought this is really interesting about these three different kind of profiles of the people and, and my research. And so I thought this is an interesting perspective about Mary. So the, the Hebrew word for, um, for Mary ultimately was that she was an Anawin. And so can you put that slide? An Anawin, which means poor ones or pious ones or the faithful of the poor those who could not trust in their own strength and had to depend on God, that's Mary. Okay, so put Joseph up. So Joseph was known as a righteous man. The Hebrew word there 
was actually, it's pronounced Sadid, something along those lines. So he was a righteous man. And once again, God chose to use Mary, who was a, a pious, poor person. He used Joseph, as I share with you all. He was a righteous man, but he was just an ordinary carpenter. He wasn't even a master carpenter. He was just a plain old carpenter. And then last but not least, the shepherds were people called the word there, hierits, which means they were just people of the land. They were just humble people. So to me, what's so amazing to me about the story today is how God works in mysterious ways, how God once again reveals who he really is and being a humble God who continues to walk with us, Emmanuel, God with us. So here's the last quote for us to think about today, about shepherds, about the good news of Jesus Christ for all people, for angels who are direction, who give us direction, showed us the direction of life. I, I close with this. Here's the last little quote. And it comes from Clint Wentz. And this is what Clint says. Sheep just need a shepherd. <laughs>